Greetings and salutations, all you sportsmen and women out there and conservationists all across New York State and the Fruited Plain. Welcome back to another episode of We Love Outdoors with Rich Davenport. I am your humble host, Rich Davenport, coming to you from snowy Tandawanda, New York. That's right, sportsmen and women, welcome back to another episode of We Love Outdoors. Uh, with Rich Davenport on Anchor.fm. You know, you got us here. It's powered by Spotify, and you can get this uh, podcast on Spotify and Google Podcasts and Apple Podcasts and uh, Beacon and Free Radio and Pocket Casts and, of course, Anchor.fm. Hey, please help support this podcast by donating to the cause, $10 a month, $5 a month, whatever you can afford, as it helps me push back on the propaganda in the media while providing sound conservation principles, practices, and sound science. Hey, and also, there's a lot of commentary here. It's my show. It's my commentary. It's my opinion. And, you know, it may not reflect any of the official positions of the organizations that I am a part of, but if it happens to be an official position, I'm going to let you know about it. And also, the views expressed on this show may not reflect the views of this program sponsors and advertisers. We just got to be all very clear. Please spread the word, folks. Well, you know, we got more updates for you. And, of course, you know, starting with the next victim of COVID, 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 uh, the planned Bow in the Snow, that's becoming an outdoors woman, Bow in the Snow event uh, in Allegheny State Park that was slated for February 4th through 6th, 2022, has been canceled. In a press release dated January 18th, 2022, the DEC states we have decided to cancel the 2022 Winter Bow in the Snow workshop to help reduce the spread of COVID-19 during the rapid spread of the Omicron variant. Since the indoor classes, the small dining hall, and the bunkhouses cannot be well ventilated during winter, the risk of spreading the virus between people from all regions of the state is too high. Yeah, okay. Well, Omicron, uh, it's like catching the common cold. And I would think people, would, if they were feeling sick, they wouldn't show up anyhow. But you know, that's uh, probably for the better with all the mask mandates and everything else that we're probably going to come along with it. Um, you know, I don't know why we're allowing the game of panic to override the reality that colds are something that we all got to deal with. And reacting to a cold, even if it's more severe than the Carmen Garden variety, of which, by the way, 30% are COVIDs, um, you know, it's our own individual immune system that protects us. And it, perhaps the political should be set aside. And basically a disclaimer stating, if you're concerned or you have a compromised immune system, we recommend that you do not attend. What would be wrong with doing that? I mean, you know, that would be the responsible thing to do. And obviously, if you were a responsible person and you felt ill, you would probably want to not go and say, you know, have a good time, but don't cancel it for me. Um, you know, the pressure goes on to state that you can still get out there and enjoy the winter. Well, you know, wouldn't it be nice for those wanting to enjoy the winter that some schooling and how to enjoy winter could continue? Uh, you know, I, I just don't know. I, you know, I, I hear in the news that, that we have, you know, cases are rapidly dropping, you know, which cases doesn't mean anything. I thought it was hospitalizations and deaths. You know, that's what indicates the danger of something, not that somebody's caught it. Uh, and, you know, the, based on the based on the, the, the data, it looks like the hospitalizations are driving to, uh, dropping too. And, you know, there are, looks like there's a lot of 
places that are not even busy based on some you know feedback that I got from friends that are in, in the hospital right now getting some elective surgery done finally. Uh, one person's having knee surgery. Uh, the other one is getting ready for hip replacement. And, you know, they, they're saying that these places aren't even that busy. The hospitals aren't that busy. Um, you know, obviously the, the capacity, you know, adequate care has a lot to do with uh, uh, not just the number of beds, but the staffing levels too. Um, you know, they always kind of forget that, that we've got staffing problems at a lot of the hospitals because of the vaccine mandate and these medical professionals who did not, you know, have the option to get a vaccine throughout the peak of the most dangerous part of this outbreak and this part of this epidemic, uh, you know, they elected not to get this or maybe they caught COVID and got over it and they, they know that that uh, natural immunity is, is better. I don't know. But, you know, it, it doesn't look like uh, to me that we're getting the full story and it's just a shame. In other special news, many are sounding alarm bells in New York concerning some very disconcerting provisions in the arbitrary and capricious climate change law that was passed in 2019 through the budget process. <laughs> it's about time. Uh, part of the law, which really starts kicking in this year, sections two and three of the bill, would modify the environmental conservation law to establish the New York State Climate Action Council, which it already has, and they just started uh, you know, releasing pressers and uh, uh, reports and such, and greenhouse gas emissions limits and reporting requirements, and provisions to address potential impacts on disadvantaged communities. Uh, that has been uh, established, and in late 2021, the body did become active with announcing the release of their draft scoping plan for public comment starting January 1. And also in Section 2, the creation of the Environmental Justice Advisory Group with the community air monitoring program required by Section 2 taking effect in October, on October 1, 2022. So these groups are now starting to meet, and they're going to be seeing what they're going to concoct in order for this uh, uh, community air monitoring program uh, to actually come into play because, you know, we've also got, uh, you know, we, we've got the right to clean air, right, you know, in a healthful environment. So, you know, the goals of the group at least in part, looks like to reduce any emissions that are related to fossil fuels and wood burning as well. Any kind of anything that could put out carbon dioxide or anything else that they think is bad, carbon dioxide being plant food, of course, um, you know, they're looking at uh, New York City, they, they want to get rid of natural gas for any new builds, con commercial, residential, uh, no natural gas for heating, no natural gas for cooking in kitchens and hot water, etc. Everything has to be electric. And in upstate New York, it's it's uh, been reported that, uh, you know, upstate has a lot of wood smoke. And uh, it's high on the priority list with the uh, usual boilerplate talking points of saving lives. Uh, because, you know, just one life being saved is enough. And, of course, money, probably by forcing more people to use and spend more on natural gas or electric, especially, you know, moving forward to electric. Because, you know, upstate, there's a lot of people that, you know, burn wood as a supplemental heating source. And in the rural areas, you know, you may even have people using wood boilers or wood burning furnaces that are actually providing all the heat and hot water for their dwelling. Um, you know, there's a specious claims that NYSERDA's director of energy environment, uh, this guy, it's a interesting title. It's, it, he's uh, director of energy and environment analysis. Okay, Carl Moss. Uh, he made a presidential predict presentation predicting that reducing wood smoke by 40% in upstate New York 
could reduce non-fatal heart attacks. How do you know? Asthma-related hospital visits and deaths significantly? Of course it could. Why 40%? Why not 50? Why not 80%? What is significantly? Do you have a possible number? How do you measure non-fatal heart attacks, you know, before and after, uh, considering that HIPAA and other private you know, health information we have protections on? You know, I had asthma when I was a kid, and believe me, my hospital, hospital visits, they had absolutely nothing to do with campfires or charcoal smoke or wood burning. Uh, I want to see some backup. I want to see some science, and I, I really want to see actual data, not just this pie-in-the-sky stuff and not stuff that has been set up and manufactured. Uh, you can show us this information, what you have, and where you're coming up with this information. I want to know what significantly means. Uh, this is just absolute pie-in-the-sky, can't-be-proven uh, political pablum. Uh, this Climate Action Council is looking at two scenarios for decreasing greenhouse gases, one of which includes the use of biofuels and green hydrogen. However, that one, you know, still you're burning stuff, and the second scenario envisions transitioning to renewables without the biofuels, and wood is also a biofuel, and both call for reducing wood consumption by 40% relative to business as usual by 2050, according to NYSERDA. It appears the gaggle of energy illiterate communists favors the latter that, that get rid of everything. Uh, no wood burning, no nothing, because, of course, we've got to save the planet. And according to the Cary Institute of Ecosystem Studies, President Emeritus William Schlesinger, a biochemist and expert on wood smoke, of course, said wood burning produces large amounts of tiny particles called aromatic compounds. You know, the, the, the smell that makes wood burning smell so nice? Aromatic compounds, they're carbon-based molecules that can cause cancer. There's a lot of things that can cause cancer, folks. Uh, you know, just living seems like sometimes can cause cancer. So, so do rare earth metals, too, by the way, and so do electric magnetic fields, by the way, and a myriad of other substances, you know, heavily used in making renewable energy devices like PFAS and, and bisphenol A. But let's focus on these aromatic compounds. To further the fear campaigns, also increasingly believe that the medical profession uh, that breathing wood smoke contributes to Alzheimer's and Parkinson's. Well, of course it does. Right. You know, no, no sources have been cited for this. Just a convenient claim that can't be validated. And it's a manipulation effort that goes on to claim wood burning, uh, you know, produces far more of these aromatic compounds than all other forms of combustion in New York. Well, of course it does, because it, that's what happens when you burn wood. If you're burning other things like propane or natural gas, uh, you're not getting the aromatic compounds because you're not burning wood. Unbelievable. It's, then the claim, reducing wood consumption by 40% in upstate New York would have quantifiable benefits, according to Moss's presentation, with per capita health benefits from 2020 to 2050, uh, of between $3,000 and $4,000 for Albany County and much of the Catskills. I heard something similar about Obamacare, too. Doesn't anybody remember that? The average family's going to save $2,500. If you like your plan, you can keep your plan. If you like your doctor, you can keep your doctor. Why do they have to make up this stuff? I mean, why, why do they? They don't even cite it. They, they just make believe. Let's pull a number out. They've got nothing on that. This is the typical New York City brain-dead idea rooted in urbanite living, not living in the real world of upstate New York. Many across the state use wood to supplement and sometimes provide all of their home heating needs. And, you know, many upstate families, especially in the more rural areas where wood is plenty, you know, it's, it, it's something that people need, and it's just going to drive more people out of New York. 
New York City stupidity drove these morons to ban natural gas hookups for all the new construction, and you can target, uh, you know, wood burning in upstate New York as our pain until they come after the uh, backyard barbecues using any kind of fuel, you know, because after all, with the uh, Environmental Rights Amendment and our right to clean air, you know, whoever's defining that, it's going to be, uh, you know, just whatever the definition of the day is, it's so vague, absolutely arbitrary, it's just unbelievable. Um, you can expect this one to rise up, you know, it's, it's, uh, you know, just, uh, it's going to be debated for the last 15 years and it's going to be continually debated, but, you know, with the blowing of smoke in a neighbor's yard and barbecue pits and this and that, and, uh, it's, it's going to be, this is going to get ugly quick. And in response, as a way to head off some of this looming inevitability of people remain silent, uh, State Senator Patty Ritchie, she's in uh, Senate District 48, has started a petition to help New Yorkers say no to the Democrats' wood-burning ban scheme. Uh, visit nysenate.gov slash senator slash patty, P-A-T-T-Y dash Ritchie, R-I-T-C-H-I-E, and scroll down the page until you see the tile link. Um, the New York State Conservation Council President Chuck Parker has sent correspondence to the NYCC directors recommending sign on to this petition. And this is also being filtered throughout the sporting community as well. Please let's not sit on our hands, folks. we got to act on this. And, you know, of course, in some other lovely news, the DEC has tar announced that target shooting in the Tonawanda Wildlife Management Area will no longer be allowed starting February 1st, 2022. This is on the heels of the recently adopted WMA, MUA, and unique area regulations uh, that were adopted late last year, the governing usage and what's proper on these properties. Um, I honestly, I can sort of see this happening and why it happened, um, especially with the growing concern of increased rifle use for target practice out there that's unmanned. And, you know, some of there were a lot of abusers that were out there. There weren't a lot of hunters and sportsmen, but plinkers that apparently didn't know how to join a local rod and gun club. Um, these uh, area that uh, the shooting was taking place was in the town of Royalton in the Owen Bartle Road area that, again, uh, February 1st, that shut down. So, you know, we're being run roughshod over, folks. And, you know, that's we've got to stand up and we've got to start getting vocal because that's one of the problems. We've been quiet for way too long. Well, folks, you hear that music? That's right. That means I've got to take my first break of the day. But don't go anywhere. Stretch your legs. Get a cup of coffee because we love outdoors with Rich Davenport. will be right back. Welcome back, all you sportsmen and women and conservationists across New York State and the Fruited Plain to We Love Outdoors with Rich Davenport. We're starting our second segment of the day, which is sponsored by Chautauqua Real Outdoors Guide and Tackle. That's located at 165 Fairmont Avenue in Lakewood, New York. That's in the Save-A-Lot and Dollar Center 
General Plaza. Uh, Chautauqua Reel Outdoors, you know, they carry a full line of ice fishing equipment, including jet sleds and augers, rod and reel combos and tip-ups and much more. And they have a big selection of ice jigging Rapalas and other ice fishing tackle. And they also offer an auger blade sharpening service with real quick turnaround. So important. Live bait is available and they're open year-round. You can find them on Facebook or on the web at ChautauquaRealOutdoors.com. Hey, you know, guys, we've got uh, this, uh, uh, the ice came in time on Chautauqua Lake, and this weekend is the first week, or second weekend, I should say, of the uh, uh, first ice derby. Hopefully it'll be an annual one. Uh, and, you know, we've got a, you know, a dozen or so folks signed up. More people are signing up. Um, but, you know, the fishing has been slow. We don't have any entries yet, but I'm expecting that's going to change within the next couple of weeks. And uh, we did get first ice, uh, you know, safe ice on the 15th to the kickoff of this uh, this derby. And we also had uh, the Clam Trap Attack, which was a two-day event that was held January 15 and 16, 2022. That one had over 600 participants and collected 1,703 entries uh, for consideration during that two-day event. And the winners in each category uh, were as follows. The Clam Slam, which was a walleye, a crappie, and a sunfish, total aggregate weight 48 inches, or aggregate length 48 inches. That was caught by Drew Pingle. Very good, Drew. Well done. The largest crappie was caught by Ryan Gleasing at 15 and a half inches. 15 inch took second place for Dylan Fui. And third place was Adam Bartusik, another 15 inch fish. Northern Pike, the largest, was 43 inches, caught by Cody Wald. Uh, Corbin Hemson uh, came in uh, second with a 41-incher, and Roger Garris with a 40.75-inch Northern Pike rounded that one out. Uh, the, the largest sunfish was caught by Jamie Desjardins at 10.75-inch. He actually got uh, all three of the largest fish, another one that was 10.75 and a 10.5-inch. He must be the sunfish king. Uh, the largest walleye was caught by Chris Ghani at 29.5 inches. And, uh, you know, there were another one. Uh, Chris got two of those that were 29 and a half. And Cody Pierce came in with a 29 and a quarter to round that out. And the largest yellow perch was caught by Wyatt Rawlings at 14 and a half inches with Bob Perkins coming in at a 14 and a quarter. Congratulations to all those anglers. Uh, you know, they had a lot of different categories and a lot of different winners right across the board for that two-day uh, two uh, uh, contest. And that was done, again, online through Fish Donkey. And you got to take pictures, send them in. And, it, you know, it was anywhere in the country that had uh, uh, ice fishing. The, the, you can go visit the, uh, the, the Clam uh, Corp uh, website, and you can find all the details on this one. Uh, they even had mystery fish, and they had all sorts of really interesting things. Visit the Fish Donkey and look up the Clam Trap Attack 2022. You'll get all those details. And, you know, it's it's interesting that, you know, we had this uh, big snowstorm that hit on Martin Luther King Jr. Day uh, last week, yet with all that heavy snow, um, down here in the southern tier on Chautauqua Lake and, and in others, the snow wasn't that bad. And, in fact, we had a little bit of a warm-up. And now most of that slush is gone. It's tightened right up. And you've got seven or eight inches, uh, up to nine inches in spots. And, you know, we've got guys running machines now. It hasn't thickened up like this in a long time. Um, for those places that are still snow covered and you're not sure, you know, just remember that snow slows the amount of ice and it slows down the formation. And when you can't see under the ice or can't see the surface, I should say, because of that snow cover, 
bring that spud bar. You know, it's even though it may be uh, later on in the year and you may be seeing some some machines running, you may not see that pressure crack or know there was a pressure crack under there. So just you know, take a look, bring that that spud with you. I mean, everything should be all right, but never take it to chance. It's better to err on the side of caution. Spud your way out if you're not certain, but if you can see that surface, you should be fine. Cut a couple of test holes. Uh, right now, you know, like I said, I'm down, I was down at Chautauqua earlier this weekend, and there's plenty of ice out there. We got snowmobiles running on it, so, you know, just use your brains. It's still early in the season. Meanwhile, there are some concerns rising over the proposed changes to the fishing seasons in the proposed uh, uh, fishing uh, regulation changes that have their uh, public comment period open through February 6th of 2022. Um, many anglers, you know, especially uh, when you look at this taking effect on April 1st, it only gives you a couple of months, actually a month for walleye, and then, uh, you know, the traditional opening of bass and, of course, the inland muskie season, which changed a few years ago to start at the end of May. Um, those changes to those seasons would take effect basically only a month or two in advance. And uh, there's some certainly some uh, concerns rising, especially on the inland muskie, where anglers have taken, you know, a lot of time, you know, maybe a, a year in advance to make some plans to do some opening day fishing. And now with opening day, moving to the 1st of June versus the Labor Day weekend, or Memorial Day weekend, rather. Uh, there could be some concerns with that. Um, you know, however, uh, there has been uh, some additional information that I've received that uh, a workaround is being, being pursued. So the changes, you know, may not, you know, impact too greatly this year. Uh, it would be more so on next year. Uh, there are other conditions that are going on in the Great Lakes with Canada and such. And, you know, so guys, they're really the bottom line is, you know, read your, your proposed regulations and get your comments in. The more comments get in, the better this will be. The DEC is encouraging that. Uh, and, and they're very valuable. The, the comments are very valuable to them. They really are. Uh, but, you know, the only comments that are going to be of value are the ones that are made. If you sit on your hands and don't submit a comment, you're going to have some problems. Um, you know, Lake Erie Bass, too, that's another season that, uh, you know, with the spawn and you've got Canada that usually opens up a week later, this is going to increase that that potential uh, difference in opening and potentially increase that pressure from Canadian anglers coming over and pulling those fish off of beds. And then the round gobies and other egg eaters and fry eaters just have at it, you know, because those bass are still guarding their fry and their eggs at that particular time. Uh, Lake Erie seems to spawn a little bit later than, than what they see inland. But, you know, again, February 6th, Try to, you know, make sure you get your comments in. Read that 78-page document. Help the DEC get it right. You know, we don't want to be constantly changing them. Uh, so get your, get your participation going in that, please. And around the Great Lakes region, the Great Lakes Sport Fishing Council has released some updates, including in Michigan, where they're changing their spring steelhead creel limit from three fish a day down to one. But that's during the spring spawn, which covers March 15 through May 15, due to a steady population decline that's been noted over the last decade. Uh, that uh, change in the uh, creel uh, limit now has taken effect on January 9th. Uh, so you steelhead anglers uh, over in Michigan that are Great Lakes, uh, you know, uh, tributary workers, uh, you know, understand that your limit to keep is, and most people do practice catch and release anyhow, so it shouldn't be that big of a deal. But if you do want to have, a, you know, one for the smoker, realize that you can't take three for the smoker during this period of time. It's only one. 
And the Black Lake 2022 Lake Sturgeon season is set to begin on February 5th, 2022 at 8 a.m. This is an ice fishing season, again, in Michigan, and the harvest limit is set for the season. It's not something that they set per person per season, but the whole season has a harvest limit of six lake sturgeon, okay? So uh, this is to prevent overfishing, and the season will close when one of two scenarios is met. Number one, the season closes when the sixth fish is harvested, or if two uh, or if five of six fish uh, for the season are harvested on any single day throughout the season. So if like it opens up on February 5th and on February 6th, five lake sturgeon can get harvested, the season's going to end then. Otherwise, uh, you know, once they catch six fish and, and the harvested, they're harvested, not just caught and released, but they're taken from the waters, uh, that's going to end the season as well. Otherwise, if it goes right through, um, <clears throat> they're going to be fishing right through uh, February 9th, 2022. That's the end of the special season, unless one of the two scenarios that I mentioned before happens before the February 9th closing. The hours to fish this special season are from 8 a.m. to 2 p.m., and since this is an ice fishing season, participating anglers must bring their own red flag to hang on their shanty to help identify themselves to DNR officials that you are participating in this sturgeon season on Black Lake. Again, that's just for Black Lake, but it's kind of an interesting thing. Uh, you know, also a study recently published in Nature Magazine has indicated that mercury poisoning in waterways may abate much quicker than originally thought once the source of mercury contamination is addressed and ceased. Paul Blanchfield, an aquatic ecologist with Fisheries and Oceans Canada, and his colleagues, they spent 15 years studying how mercury added to a lake affected the ecosystem. So basically, for the first seven years, they added tiny amounts of traceable mercury to the lake. They didn't say which lake, folks, and I don't know which lake they were poisoning, but um, again, you know, this could have been... Uh, it, neither here nor there. Uh, they it, Hopefully it was already poisoned. <laughs> it just kind of sounds pretty funny. Uh, and then, you know, they tracked how this mercury moved through the water, the sediments, and the animals from tiny plankton up to large fish like northern pike. And once the mercury additions had stopped, they spent the next eight years examining how mercury levels declined throughout the lake. And the findings, you know, they were actually uh, pretty dramatic and somewhat unexpected, with the mercury levels dropping in plankton and fish faster than anticipated once that source of mercury pollution was cut off. In fact, observed levels of mercury within three years of ceasing the contamination, those levels in water dropped 81%. And those levels during that three-year period dropped 35% in the sediments and 66% in the plankton, resulting in an 85 to 91% drop in the mercury levels measured in fish by the end of the study. Wow, that's kind of interesting. When we saw this rapid decline in mercury in the fish populations, we were surprised, said Blanchfield. Earlier studies that tracked individual fish had found that they held on to mercury in their tissue for a long time. But now they saw that the rate of change in the population did allow for overall mercury levels to fall fast. So that's kind of encouraging. 
new young fish that had access to a diet lower in mercury led to the drop. So older fish still had high levels that could pose a risk to human health if they were eaten. And in fact, this condition of eliminating mercury source pollution certainly contributed to the New York State Department of Health updating their health advisories on Lake Erie and Ontario, increasing the allowable amount of fish for women and of childbearing age and the, the amount of fish children could eat. It's important to note that Lake Erie didn't have as severe a mercury issue as Lake Ontario did. Um, they suffered from industrial smokestack pollutions. Uh, you know, that's where it was being emitted from, predominantly from coal-powered generator stations west of Lake Ontario itself, pretty much being carried by those south-southwest uh, prevailing winds. Additional point sources of mercury contamination had been addressed via clean water policies established in New York back in the mid-70s. So, and it's always being worked on, but obviously this additional information is some pretty good news. As, you know, once the mercury is removed from a contaminated stream, the ecosystems show a surprising resilience and self-healing from this particular heavy metal poisoning. We can only hope that PFAS uh, you know, also abates as you get rid of those. But unfortunately, that's something that, you know, we're still trying to identify what these uh, perfluoro and parlifluoroalkyl substances, uh, how long they last, how they travel, and how many of these in the 400 that are water-soluble alone, uh, how many of these are really, really damaging to human health. But nonetheless, when we see mercury, and that's a heavy metal that's going to reside in your muscle tissue, you know, that's that's something that is is encouraging when you see that source of that pollution cut off and then within a few short years the amounts are noticeably lower that's really 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 good news folks and you know we we should obviously take heart of that uh, you know so those efforts to actually shut down and clamp down on these industrial polluters really does pay dividends well folks you hear that music that's right the fastest podcast in podcast history has got segment number two now in the can, and I got to take my next break for the day. But again, don't go anywhere, folks. Stick around because we love outdoors with Rich Davenport. will be right back. Welcome back, all you sportsmen and women and conservationists across New York State and the Fruited Plain to the third segment of We Love Outdoors with Rich Davenport. I am your humble host, Rich Davenport, coming to you on Anchor.fm, powered by Spotify. Hey, you know, this this uh, uh, time of, of year, you know, we're, we're really starting to see things kick up again on that legislative front, on that regulatory front. It's a new calendar year. Uh, you know, the, the legislature in New York is in session from January to June. So once again, they're starting to get ramped up to do as much damage as they possibly can to all of us here are good people in New York State. And in that vein, the New York State Conservation Council has issued action alerts to the membership 
concerning three pieces of legislation that have been reintroduced in the new session of the legislature. You know, these have been brought up before, but as is the nature of the zealots, you know, if they get defeated and get defeated, they keep bringing it up and bringing it up until, you know, the, the people get tired of it and they pass it just to shut them up. Uh, nevertheless, uh, you know, we're the reps standing in the way, we're the people standing in the way, we need to, we need to kill these things uh, and make sure we get vocal and we get, uh, you know, standing in, in unity and in, in large opposition to these things. Uh, a couple of them, actually, one of them is good, the other two are bad, but if we, you know, stand up and do our part, you know, we can, we can certainly uh, help influence uh, some positive outcome for a change. And the first is a bill that was introduced on January 5th. It's been referred to the Environmental Conservation Committee. And that bill is A12299. Its companion in the Senate is S7747. And this would repeal the muzzleloader privilege as the needed stamp for crossbow use and move that privilege to archery while allowing crossbows to be used fully throughout the early archery season. The New York State Conservation Council officially does support this move. They support that inclusion, and therefore, so they officially support this bill. And they're urging the membership and other sportsmen and women to contact their assembly and Senate reps and urge support for this bill, get it out of committee, get it to a full floor vote in each house. Again, that's bills A1299 and S7747. The next bill that's on the list isn't so nice, and that's bill number A5728, which is sponsored by Assemblywoman Glick, and it's being reintroduced, and this is the lead ammunition ban on all state lands uh, and lands within the New York City drinking watershed, which is really a huge area considering New York City sources their drinking water from the Catskills, the Delaware River, and Cohocton Reservoir. So... Uh, A5728, its companion is 5058. Uh, this is uh, something that the New York State Conservation Council vehemently and officially opposes. We oppose this bill and we're urging the membership and all other New York sportsmen and women to contact their respective representatives to vote to oppose this unnecessary and truly anti-Second uh, Amendment uh, bill. Um, it's really, really nonsensical and not needed. The last bill which is A7785 and S6510, is the resurrected county opt-out legislation for late muzzleloader season slash holiday hunt. As was learned this year, snow drives snowmobiling, not hunting season conclusion. Um, the New York State Conservation Council opposes this legislation officially, although they have yet to establish the official position to oppose all opt-in and opt-out legislation and regulation proposals, as precedents being set would work to undermine the DEC's capability to manage fish and wildlife on behalf of the people effectively. Uh, that is their charge, and it's not in, in, you know, up to the counties. The supremacy is New York State, and it doesn't go down to the counties. Uh, the New York State Conservation Council urges the membership and all other sportsmen and women to contact your reps in the Assembly and Senate and urge them to vote no on this dangerous precedent-setting initiative. Again, those bill numbers are A7785, S6510. That's the county opt-out. Please contact your reps and oppose that. Have them oppose that one and has, have them oppose A5728 and S5058 as well. That's the uh, lead ammunition ban in state lands.
In national news, we've got some preliminary deer harvest information out of Missouri, the Show Me State. And that indicates that the 2021-2022 season, the hunters harvested 293,670 white-tailed deer. And that's down slightly from the 297,000 plus that were taken the year prior, but was still 3% higher than the latest five-year average. Uh, This is indicative of a population recovery in southern Missouri since a large outbreak of epizootic hemorrhagic disease, or EHD, took a major toll on deer numbers back in 2012, according to the Missouri Department of Conservation. And over in Vermont, a little closer to New York, uh, they saw 15,600 deer harvested, which was lower than 2020, but still higher than the running average. The decline, according to Vermont Fish and Game, appeared to be driven by a lower antlerless harvest. And uh, meanwhile, you know, New York numbers won't be available for a little while, uh, but showed, uh, but should be released sooner than last year's release when the switch to the new harvest data collection platform was delayed. Um, and it, it, they had to make sure that the new platform and the old platform, they were, you know, matching methodologies and, and things were, were lining up so it was valid number to valid number. And that should be okay now. They've worked on that. They've got that standardized. This year, the, the harvest figures should come out much earlier than they did last year. Those are the final numbers, by the way. Uh, And I've also heard that on January 25th, uh, Congressman Chris Jacobs, you know, he's going to be, you know, coming into town to hold a press conference to update the constituency on his efforts to secure more Great Lakes funding to be used for the continued cleanup efforts of Lake Erie. You know, he's a staunch opponent and an ally in the fight against wind turbines in Lake Erie. And Jacobs is working to, uh, you know, make sure that while we're cleaning up this messes that we did in the industrial past, that we're not going to be making more messes after we've spent this money, you know, cleaning things up by dropping in these industrial wind turbines and causing effectively, uh, you know, the re-exposure of a lot of these long buried contaminants that are down on the bottom of the, the lake. Um you know, there's there's a whole bunch of stuff going on. There's going to be a press release, I guess, uh, or a press conference, rather, on the 20, 25th. And uh, that'll be down at Hoax, like around 10, 30, 11 o'clock, give or take. I've sent along a lot of information for their review and research concerning the history of the contamination in Lake Erie from the EPA, from NOAA, and many others, with many articles being sourced from the U.S. Library of Medicine, as well as EPA and NOAA Direct. Uh, Beyond disturbance of existing contaminants on the lake bottom, the additional contamination in the form of bisphenol A and neodymium shedding from the turbines themselves will create another serious health issue for people in aquatic life, not to mention the hydraulic fluids and lubricants in the nacelles being omnipresent and prone to leakage. I didn't send along the lengthy information on PFAS issues because, you know, these are really coming to light being considered by the EPA as emerging contaminants. Uh, But I am at the ready to go ahead and send that information on to them when they're ready for it. Again, that press conference should occur down at Hoax uh, on uh, Tuesday, January 25th. Uh, So, you know, folks, if you got nothing else to do, you want to get down there in the morning before lunchtime, I've been told, uh, get down there and support our congressman and also support, I believe, Sharon Trembath is going to be with him and maybe a few others from Cautile uh, to highlight and bring attention and continued attention on this bad idea and that the opposition is strong, large, and we're not going anywhere. 
Meanwhile, the ban on wood boilers and furnaces and the potentially more being considered by the New York climate change zealots in government, uh, we're already staring at a 2035 ban on gas-powered ATVs with all gas or diesel-fueled vehicles, that's trucks, cars, motorcycles, and non-commercials, uh, you know, as they get, you know, commercial gets more time, um, they get by 2050. So everything sold in New York State pretty soon has to be electric. An ATV that doesn't, you know, a design of one that doesn't look like a Jetson spaceship, an electric ATV has been released for sale. But the price tag makes it unaffordable for most by far. I mean, it's, it's crazy. Um, and that's going to be the common theme moving forward, folks. Uh, we have, you know, many people that have to get absolutely fit to be tied and vocal because what's going to happen is you're going to see prices go up just by nature of having to purchase an electric vehicle. These things are much more expensive, and if the battery packs die, there you might as well buy a new vehicle because you're never going to be able to get rid of it, You know, and it's going to cost you almost the price of a new vehicle uh, just to replace the battery pack. Um, you know, we got to get active and, and reverse this stuff. Otherwise, you know, New York is going to be a thing of the past, honestly. Uh, you know, this is all being done to protect the planet from plant food. Yet, uh, you know, it's interesting that I'm I'm reading now references of nitrogen oxide also being a problem, which it isn't. But that was actually the demon gas blamed for the impending ice age that was creating a panic in the environmental wacko circles back in the 60s, culminating with some tremendous and spectacularly wrong predictions made by these very same zealots on the first first Earth Day, which was April 20th, 19, 20, 22nd, 1970. In fact, that was the demon gas, nitrogen, causing all the cooling, and by 1985, the world would be under thick layers of ice, and the world would be starving on account of nitrogen oxide emissions. Uh, more absurdity that banks on no connection or knowledge to history. And if you ever wondered why history is so poorly taught in schools, folks, you know, if at all, well, now you know why. So to give you a little bit of a history lesson at this point in time, I dug out some of the most spectacular quotes from Earth Day 1970 just for you to enjoy. And, you know, kind of, as, as, I, as I mentioned, these kind of harken back to what you've been hearing recently and, you know, note how similar this stuff sounds. But here we go. Quote, at the present rate of nitrogen buildup, it's only a matter of time before light will be filtered out of the atmosphere and none of our land will be usable. That was said April 22, 1970, by ecologist Kenneth Watt. Another one. Quote, the world has been chilling sharply for about 20 years. If present trends continue, the world will be about 4 degrees colder for the global mean temperature in 1990, but 11 degrees colder in the year 2000. This is about twice what it would take to put us into an ice age. That was again the illustrious Kenneth Watt. Quote, one theory assumes that the Earth's cloud cover will continue to thicken as more dust fumes and water vapor are belched into the atmosphere by industrial smokestacks and jet planes. Screened from sun, the sun's heat, the planet will cool, and the water vapor will fall and freeze, and a new ice age will be born. That was a quote from none other than the illustrious Newsweek magazine. Quote, in a decade... Urban dwellers will have to wear gas masks to survive the air pollution. By 1985, air pollution will have reduced the amount of sunlight reaching Earth itself by one half. That was Life magazine, folks. Are we, are we hearing a, a, a trend here? Quote, we are in an environmental crisis which threatens the survival of this nation and the world as a suitable place of human habitation. 
That was said by Washington University biologist Barry Commoner. Yeah, laughable. Quote, demographers agree almost unanimously on the following grim timetable. By 1975, widespread famines will begin in India. These will spread by 1990 to include all of India, Pakistan, China, and the Near East, and Africa. By year 2000, or conceivably sooner, South and Central America will exist under famine conditions. By the year 2000, 30 years from now, the entire world, with the exception of the Western Europe, North America, and Australia, will be in famine. That was uh, North uh, Texas State University professor Peter Gunter. Yeah, that's okay. That's great. Um, folks, um, really? So in 1970, that's what they, they all said. And doesn't that all sound strangely familiar, that what we hear from the Gretas and everybody else? You betcha. This proves that even within the kooks, the more things change, the more they stay the same, huh? And this is why in the environmental movement, people are now turning to the kids because they're not connected with this stuff. This is also why Sierra Club has turned to high school kids locally to push their flawed environmental visions, including their support for wind turbines out in Lake Erie, because they have zero connection to the dark days of the industrial pollution past and the dead lake. You know, without a grasp on history, you're going to fall for things that are already proven as bunk. And, you know, devoid of sensationalism, you know, we've even got the weather. You know, if you're not connected to the, to the weather and a connection to severe storms of the past, um, you know, but devoid of the sensational weather reporting, you, you know, you listen to today and it makes you believe that the storms are getting worse when they really aren't. In fact, all of this has been seen before. And, you know, being disconnected from that history and that reality only allows for someone to hyperventilate more and play a bigger chicken little to those that want them to manipulate them into that. Well, folks, there it is. Then I'm going to take my final break of the day as you hear this music coming up. And the fastest podcast in history has got three segments in the can right now. But I'm going to be back to wrap things up with one more segment today of We Love Outdoors with Rich Davenport. Don't go anywhere. Welcome back, all you sportsmen and women out there and conservationists across New York State and the Fruited Plain to the final segment of this uh, week's episode of We Love Outdoors with Rich Davenport coming to you from snowy Tandawanda, New York. Yeah, you know, we've we've got all this wonderful, uh, you know, disconnections from history and, you know, it, getting people to, to come on board to try to convince you and manipulate you into thinking that, all this stuff is, oh, my God, it's so warm. Oh, my God, you know, but I, I got it here to tell you, folks, that this year we've had, you know, much colder weather this winter. In fact, we've had it much colder than it was last year throughout the entirety of the winter. 
And, you know, I suspect, you know, this week is going to be colder and we're going to see it colder again. And, you know, in 2013, we had the coldest February on record. Uh, we could be cruising for another one of those folks. Nothing in the climate has changed. The weather is just doing what the weather do, weather does. And ours is to just deal with it, adapt or perish, as Darwin would say. Uh, but, you know, that doesn't play for the crisis mongers and those who need that crisis and need that problem because if they don't have that problem, then their answer doesn't mean anything either, right? And it just so happens they're conveniently having an answer. And part of that answer is this renewable push, this energy push for solar and wind and all this and that. And you'll notice how they've gotten off of the grandstand that it's free energy because it's not free. People have figured that one out. But they're still pushing their fairy tales and uh, empowering the world with, uh, you know, unicorn pee and uh, rainbows. And, uh, you know, I was able to come in uh, on Thursday, January 20th of 2022, when I was invited to speak to the membership of the South Towns Walleye Association. Uh, this is their big meeting of the year. This is when they have their election. So it was a, it was a full house. It's virtually standing room only. And I was brought in to discuss and then have a question and answer uh, session uh, concerning the scheme and scam that is the notion to install offshore wind farm in the open waters of Lake Erie, our waters of life. There were over 100 that were there, and a lot of good questions came uh, after uh, the presentation. Uh, and unanimously, all were in opposition to this notion, which is good because this is the largest fishing organization in New York State, certainly in western New York. And, you know, they are uh, officially opposed, and now the membership is really starting to mobilize. Um, some were surprised that uh, this actually was tried once before back in 2010 by the New York Power Authority. Um, and some have been hearing it trickling out here and there. But now the governor is starting to get involved, and she's trying to get people to, to call in after Crystal People Stokes and her effort didn't pay off too much. Now you've got uh, Governor Hochul chiming in, and how that's going to work is, is pretty much, you know, the Kabuki Theater. They're going to take your phone call. And they basically screen you. Are you for it or against it? You know, are you for it? We'll connect you right up to the governor. If you say you're opposed, they hang up on you. If you're for it, they connect you to the governor. So then she only hears, you know, who's for it. And then they can tell you then, you know, that, well, you know, the governor will say all the phones that I, the phone calls that I got were in support. I didn't hear anybody oppose it. Well, that's because you screened the calls. So only all you got was the uh, supporting calls for this stuff. And that's how the Kabuki Theater rolls. We all know this. But opposition, um, you know, to wind energy and uh, renewable energy is, is strong. We don't want it in the Great Lakes. You know, Western New York is adamant. We do not want any of these things anywhere close to the waters of the Great Lakes. And, uh, you know, we've we fought too hard to bring them back from the brink. And, you know, so much so that after the discussion, many at the South Towns walleye meeting stopped over to a little table that was manned by the Citizens Against Wind Turbines in Lake Erie to sign the petition uh, to call for a moratorium on this stuff, as well as to buy yard signs and bumper stickers telling folks, you know, no wind turbines in Lake Erie. But now really across the board and across the nation, opposition to wind energy and solar energy and these renewable schemes is really largely growing. And it's something that is not getting a lot of press coverage, so it's being suppressed. You know, people think that there's not a whole lot of 
uh, opposition to it. You know, there's not a lot of people protesting, making phone calls, and you know, there's not a lot of laws and ordinances that are being pushed. You know, it's everybody's loving it. It's all, you know, it's all kumbaya. And in fact, you would think that based on the press coverage that there wasn't anybody out there opposing this because these are all planet-saving, but they're ineffective ideas, right? But, you know, Columbia Law School has compiled a document noting all the local laws and the contested projects in all 50 states showing the rejection of these wind and solar schemes are happening at a, a rather large and alarming rate that alarming when I say that because it's not getting any play in the press. And that that is really disturbing. Uh, this document, which is 74 pages long, lists some of, not all of, but some of the opposition in every single state, including policy and local laws pushing back and the, the, uh, the pushback on many different local projects. And just in New York, but every state is, is covered on this. Um, you know, New Mexico, you know, they, they've, been, they've been working on it as well. Uh, that everybody's North Carolina has been working. You know, there's there's a lot of opposition, but in New York State, you know, the, the New York State enacted the Accelerated Renewable Energy Growth and Community Benefit Act in 2020 to expedite the siting of renewable energy facilities. That was 94C. That's where the home rule was lost. And the only way to expedite that is to eliminate the public comment period and eliminate the environmental review, the diligent environmental review. So you know, this was. Um, you know, they enacted this because, you know, the, the projects and getting them approved were extremely slow. Uh, you can get expedited approval from the state that are 25 megawatts or greater. Um, however, there are a lot of local ordinances, like in 2019, Westerlo voted unanimously to enact a, a moratorium on commercial solar arrays and commercial wind turbines and energy storage systems uh, that could be used to collect energy in these systems. In Porter, New York, in January 2020, uh, the town of Porter approved a moratorium on, on certain solar energy systems lasting six months for certain systems, despite community opposition. Some, some community uh, folks didn't want that moratorium, and they did it anyhow, thank goodness, uh, because there were more people that wanted it done. Go figure. In Worth, New York, the town board passed a law in April 2019 severely restricting wind farm construction. Many residents came out to protest the new law but were met with opposition. I don't understand what that really means. It sounds like there were two sides of the coin and they came out and they, they protested and the guys got the, uh, um, you know, severely got the restrictions, got severe restrictions put into play. In Somerset, January 2018, the town board unanimously passed a law that effectively banned industrial wind turbines in the town. The new zoning laws, those amendments, banned structures over 150 feet tall, allowed wind only in industrial zones, prohibit wind turbines that sell their electricity off-site, and require turbines to be at least a mile away from buildings. That's a fantastic law. In Seneca County, Local Law Number 6 of 2014 requires all major solar systems have a surface area of less than 4,000 square feet, have a building permit, be located in a side or a rear yard, and prevent reflective glare onto any inhabited buildings, properties, or roads. And then in Kosaki, uh, you've got, uh, in 2019, the town enacted an ordinance restricting solar development in commercial and industrial zones that effectively blocked two proposals uh, from moving forward. So, you know, you've got that. Um, <clears throat> you know, they were, um, you know, the ordinances blocked those two projects. There was uh, the Flint Mine Solar 
Um, and though the state can override the local law in the statewide Article 10 proceedings, they still nonetheless did that. Additionally, uh, you know, there was a lot of, uh, of protest to the Casadega wind, the Black Oak wind. That's still being fought outside of Ithaca. Uh, there was Lighthouse wind that's being fought. It looks like that one's just about dead. Uh, Mad River wind farm, that one is, is still under, under a battle. Uh, by Atlantic Wind LLC, that would be uh, building on the Tug Hill region of New York. Um, you know, the Tug Hill Tomorrow Land Trust has opposed the project due to its potential environmental and ecological impacts. Uh, Dryden Solar in Willow Glen Cemetery, that brought a lawsuit against the town of Dryden um, for uh, uh, proposing a solar array next to the cemetery. Um, the project was successfully completed, however, after the Supreme Court of New York dismissed the petition. Oneida Solar, um, you know, they've been fighting it, and Richfield Wind, neighbors uh, who said they would never be negatively affected by the 18.4 megawatt wind farm, uh, sued the planning board for the approving the project. Uh, you know, Orangeville had problems. Cape Vincent Wind, uh, that's the BP project that has been stalled due to a lot of local opposition. It was restarted and then uh, it stalled again, and, and, you know, it's just all over the lot here, folks. Uh, you know, but nonetheless, this stuff is happening, and the the opposition is growing. On top of that, you can look out into the into the the oceans, and you can see some problems that have happened um, relatively recently. Uh, there was a turbine off of Norway that tumbled. It was uh, about 350 feet, 370 feet tall, a very large turbine that you know above the waves, anyhow. Um, you know, they they had a problem, and for however it happened. This stanchion tumbled, it, it tipped and tumbled, as well as um, the uh, uh, stanchion's base, the concrete base, tipped over. They don't know how that happened as well. But, you know, something like this, there goes all that oil, there goes all the, 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 the uh, rare earth metals. All of these things um, has happened here, and that's absolutely brutal. Uh, meanwhile, uh, Save Ontario Shores had good news for the birds. Uh, that, uh, you know, it looks like that they had a good uh, uh, recommended decision from the administrative law judge assigned to the Heritage Wind Project. Um, so there's, you know, detailing review and robust par public participation process. Um, you know, there's, there's some things going on there. Some of it's good, some of it's not. Uh, but, you know, again, we've got to stand up, we've got to push back. Uh, you know, again, we've got Canada that's going to get involved with the uh, Great Lakes industrial wind turbine uh, folly, as I like to call it, because nothing is going to be delivered for the cost. And meanwhile, we've got 7,000 unpowered dams. Uh, you know, we've got, they're already built. You know, the, the fear of having to build a dam when it's already built, you just have to power up, is kind of nonsensical. Uh, the fear of digging up uh, uh, of uh, com contaminants in waters that we don't drink uh, but not fearing it in waters that we do drink. That, that kind of smacks of uh, misapplied uh, priorities. And yet all of this is what is going on right now in New York State. So, you know, we really do need everybody to stand up. Uh, again, that, that press release or press conference, rather, on the 25th of January down at Hoax would be a great one for people to attend to help, uh, you know, get that visual across. And, you know, Brian Higgins and Sean Ryan, they've been pretty mum. And as, as I was asked uh, by the South Town's walleye people, why are, 
Why aren't they standing up and doing more? You know, they're not even acknowledging that it's there. That's because a project has yet to be announced. A bid has yet to be uh, solicited and a bid has yet to be submitted. And until that time, they can play the political games by saying, well, there's nothing to oppose because we don't have a project. But we know darn well that we had Mitsubishi under the banner of the, the Shell Corporation of Diamond Wind Generation was sniffing around in 2019. They kicked off the public process by meeting with the town of Evans in a public format. And, uh, you know, they also applied for three interconnect uh, requests with the New York Independent Systems operators, only to have those withdrawn a few months later after the word got out that they had done that. They wanted two interconnects in the Buffalo Harbor, one in Dunkirk. Can't imagine what for, but they're offshore wind. Hmm, can't imagine. And yet there wasn't a project out there that was a little bit, uh, um, you know, tipping the hand, if you will. And we don't want to forget that. We want to keep reminding people of this because they want this to be a done deal. And they want it, they expect it to be done deal in 2019. They're just going through the, the motions. But don't let them just go through the motions on you, folks. Push back on them and make sure they know. And make sure Canada knows, too. The International Joint Commission is going to be the ones that ultimately make the decision on this, not New York State. So, you know, reach out to the IJC and especially the Canadian commissioners and tell them that you don't want this to happen in this boundary water. This is our fresh water, our waters of life, and should not be industrialized. They're simply too small to sustain it. Well, folks, it's been an exciting day, that's for sure. And I've enjoyed spending this last hour with you all, but sadly, it's time for me to go for this week. As you can hear that music, the fastest podcast in podcast history concludes for the day, and I have to wish you fairly well. But, folks, don't worry about a thing because those wind turbines aren't built yet, and we've got ice fishing going on. And, hey, stick around, come back next week, and I'll see you same bad time, same bad channel. God bless.